Hello and a happy new uh, week. Happy new week. Last week I could tell you happy new year. This week is just happy new week. And um, I still hope it will be happy, happier than the last week. Uh, we had quite a lot of um, interesting things happening. We're still dealing with the transition of Pluto into Aquarius. And uh, I'm going to dedicate a little bit of uh, our meeting today about that because, again, that happens every 250 years and it is very rare. I mean, last time it happened, I guess, was 26,000 years ago when Pluto, the Lord of Transformation, the edge of our solar system, is in Aquarius, which is the current uh, age. So not only we're entering the age of Aquarius, but uh, the doorkeeper of the age of Aquarius is no other than the Lord Shiva, Pluto, uh, the Lord of Death and Resurrection. So, yes, we do probably have to, in one way or another, die in order to resurrect in the age of Aquarius. So the age of Pisces needs to, uh, we need to let go of it in order to enter the age of Aquarius. And it's kind of interesting what's happening right now. We have Pluto moving, like we said, until 2044 into Aquarius, the sign that the age is upon us. And Saturn just moved into Pisces, which was the age that we're living. Now, it's kind of interesting. It's almost as if Pisces is trying to make the last stand for it, um, trying to do whatever he can, Pisces, in order to still remain in power in a way. And part of it is um, that idea of Saturn, again, traditional energy, very conservative, very grounded in Pisces, which is religion, faith, a dogma, and it can be addictive, it can be about drugs, it could be about deception, illusion, and even our AIs that we have created in our own image during this transition of Pluto in Aquarius, their problem is they suffer from an acute case of hallucinations. You know, that's when they spit out information that is absolutely wrong. But then again, if you turn on the, your news and looked at what happened in Waco, Texas, with Trump being there and his rallies, uh, I guess it's not only artificial intelligence, it's also silly intelligence that is now using hallucinations. So I think it's kind of related. But again, Saturn in Pisces, as we move from the age of Pisces into Aquarius, is going to be a little bit rough, to be honest, these next three years, just because we are living the age of Pisces and moving into the age of Aquarius. So we have these two powers. Uh, Pluto, which we talked about, is the edge of our solar system, the way we look at it now, and Saturn, the edge of the solar system when astrology was created up until we found out about in the 18th century about Uranus, which is one of the outer planets. Funny enough, um, the we managed to discover it because Galileo, who co created or co invented the telescope, was an Aquarius. And also, Uranus, the planet that is ruler of Aquarius, was discovered while. Saturn, Pluto was last time in Aquarius. So it's kind of interesting, all these loops within loops. So we'll talk about it quite a lot today. Uh, but first, let's look and see what is going on uh, this week. Uh, oh, wait, I have to share it with you first. And then we'll go over some of the um, things I prepared for you. Is this the one? Uh, so yeah, let's look at what's happening from today. Today, I guess, is March 26, right? Yeah, that's March 26. We are in the realm of Aries. The last five days we moved into Aries after the uh, spring equinox in the Northern Hemisphere and the New Year, astrological New Year. So what we have uh, this week, uh, March 26, today the moon is in Gemini. So uh, if you are having this feeling of wanting to travel, especially within your own uh, country or your own state. That's what basically Gemini rules. So the moon in Gemini is an instinct about information, communication, speaking your mind. And because, look at that, the moon is right now five degrees Gemini, five degrees Aries is the sun. It's a perfect sextile. Sextile is 60 degrees. It's a very auspicious. It's considered to be a tiny little door opening. But, you know, a tiny little door can also lead you to Wonderland. That happened to Alice in Wonderland. You just have to eat the mushrooms or the little cookie there. 
but the idea is that today the sun and the moon sending a nice sextile to each other. Also Mercury and the moon are sending a good sextile. Also Chiron and Jupiter and the moon. So the fact that we have so many planets in Aries today, I mean this whole week, uh, and the fact that the moon today and tomorrow is in Gemini is very, very good for us because it creates this little door but still a door that is opening and creating new opportunities for us especially with communication marketing sales networking writing because Chiron is also sending a good energy to the moon it also helps us with anything to do with um, feelings emotions but also healing uh, the idea is that you can actually communicate very well with family members uh, communicate with people that you might have some conflict with because there's a lot of communicational healing, if you can call it like that, not only because Mercury is right now conjunct Chiron. That means that, first of all, you might have in the last day or two and in the next day or two a little bit disturbing thoughts. That's okay, because Mercury, the messenger, is dealing with Chiron right now. He went into his crystal cave uh, to communicate with the wounded healer. So there could be wounds within you communicating with you. So that is basically the definition of pain, if you think about it. Uh, pain is a form of communication of your body with yourself or your awareness, telling you, hey, I think something's wrong with the leg. Why? Why do you, why do you think something's wrong with the leg? Well, it's kind of painful there. Ah. Okay, so pain is a message. So that's why the nervous system is ruled by Mercury. And today, yesterday, tomorrow as well, Mercury is on top of Chiron, the wounded healer. So that means that if we do have any mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, intellectual wounds, they might be surfacing right now. They might want to have some um, attention. So as... Um, we have the moon and the sun and Mercury and Chiron and Jupiter, all of them doing this beautiful sextile. Even Vesta is involved in the uh, project. Then we're talking about really powerful time for healing mentally and emotionally issues that you might have because it's in the realm of Aries. It could be associated with things that have to do with your head or the way you think. Uh, also with blood. So if you feel like really some kind of a problem, definitely go check, do your blood work. That will be really important. Uh, any kind of injuries that you might have had in the past might come back uh, or might um, uh, injure, I'm not injured, but resurface in a sense. But all of it is also has to do with identity. We are now figuring out who are we and who do we want to be in the future. Again, Aries period, this period of the year that we call Aries, March 20th to April 20th, is a time of discovering our identity, checking our identity, re-evaluating ourselves, rebranding ourselves, uh, reinventing ourselves. So when we talk about spring uh, cleaning, which is happening again in the Northern Hemisphere, we are also talking about the spring cleaning of your soul, the spring cleaning of your body, the spring cleaning of your ego. So today, and uh, let's look tomorrow on the 27 of March. Yes, the moon is still continuing its... Um, a beautiful trine and journey in Gemini. So it's going to be trining Jupiter uh, tomorrow. You know, Jupiter is very much associated with the right brain, very philosophical. Uh, Gemini is associated much more with Mercury with the left brain. So we have Jupiter on top of Mercury right now, and Mercury is catching up. Jupiter is going to uh, going to hit it toward uh, Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So this is a great week for new ideas, uh, new communication, new projects for writing, marketing, sales, any. Anything that you want to ignite, in a sense, this week is really good for it because, again, anything right now, uh, the next until April 20th is a great time to push. Why? Because April 20th, first of all, we're moving from Aries to Taurus. And Taurus is not so much about pushing, it's about maintaining. So if you want to accelerate, it's during Aries. It's you, If you want to uh, sustain the flow, uh, work on inertia, it's much more on Taurus. So up until April 20th, we are governed by Mars uh, and Aries. But also, April 20th happened to be the next new moon, as well as the beginning of the Mercury retrograde, as well as the eclipse. So we have until April 20th to push things forward. But especially this week, when Mercury and Jupiter, the left and the right brain, are coming together, that's a great time for integration. It's a great time for clarity. It's a great time for sales, for marketing, like I mentioned. And anything that has to do with communicating your message, especially if the message is very authentic because we're talking about Aries, which has to come from your identity, from your real core, from yourself, in a sense. So that's what we have on Monday 
Also, Venus is coming closer and closer to Uranus, which is interesting but kind of um, weird because in one sense, Venus is very much about relationship, partnerships, money. Uranus is unpredictable, chaotic, and awakening, but also disruptive and, dist and disturbing sometimes. So as Venus comes closer to Uranus, you're going to expect to see crazy people around you, people that are normal acting crazy, people wanting to have a lot of freedom, including you, and unpredictable fluctuating energy around everything that has to do with finance. So we're not completely out of the... Um, woods in relation to the whole banking thing. I sent an email about it, uh, I think today or yesterday, so you can check it out. And again, if you don't get my emails, you can go to my website and just sign in uh, or register for it. And then you'll get every so often some email about what's happening up there. But anyway, Venus coming closer and closer this week to Uranus, a big deal. Jupiter and Mercury coming together this week. A great deal of um, movement. And also Jupiter touching Vesta is happening this week and next week, which is something good about tradition. And it's interesting, uh, Vesta is always uh, considered to be the goddess of the hearth, the keeper of the uh, flame. And I just went downstairs to see why the uh, a heater is, uh, the water heater is not working and the pilot is out. Mm. Well, and it's impossible to put it back again because of some uh, issue. But that's Vesta for me. But anyway, Chiron on top of Mercury, Mercury on top of Jupiter, Jupiter on top of Vesta, the moon on top of Uranus. Remember, we talked about March being the month of conjunction. A lot of new cycles of planetary energy begin. So when you're going to continue throughout this year, you're going to look back at uh, March and realize, oh, that's when I met this person. Ah, oh, that's when I thought it for the first time. Oh, that's when I started up that uh, project. You see that March, we march into action. It's also the time in the old world when the wars reignited after the uh, winter break. So definitely a lot of movement. And actually tomorrow is a kind of a blessed day. I mean, there's not that much squares going on, which is great. A lot of uh, trines are happening and no oppositions. So there are no excuses. There's no forces that are opposing you right now. Uh, and most of our problems are in our head or in our heart. Depends what kind of problems you're facing. But it's much more internal. On March uh, 28, the moon is shifting course. It's going into Cancer. The energy shifts a little bit because while Gemini and Aries get along very well, Gemini is the nervous system, Aries is the brain. Of course, they need each other. The moon in Cancer is about gut feeling. Aries is about head. Here we have a little bit of a conflict already. Uh, sometimes what the stomach wants is not necessarily what the head wants, even though now in research we know that our bacteria in our stomach affect our mood. Um, but that kind of makes sense that the brain is somehow connected to the stomach, but not always flowing as well. Uh, that's why there's people who are very heady or people who are very gut feelingy. Uh, and Cancer Moon, which we're going to guide it, uh, be with us on Tuesday, Wednesday, a little bit of Thursday, are going to be clashing with Aries. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is a little bit less uh, flowing, energetically speaking, than the uh, Monday and uh, Sunday, Monday. So if you do need to, Tuesday, maybe in the beginning of the day, it can flow for you still. But um, on Tuesday and Wednesday, we're having the moon in Cancer and it's going to be squaring again. Mars, Chiron, Jupiter. And square is basically aggravation. You know how you have something uh, like you have a scar or something, not a scar, a scrub or, or something. And your mother tells you, don't, don't scratch it, don't scratch it, don't touch your pimples because they're going to get worse. That's kind of what's happening um, around Tuesday and Wednesday because a square is something that makes us scratch uh, and it's not really good for you. So just be careful not to be itchy or scratchy, energetically speaking, on Tuesday and Wednesday. That's because the sun will be squaring the moon on Tuesday and Jupiter and Mercury are going to be squaring the moon on Wednesday. And that means uh, there is conflict between what we feel and what we think. Uh, maybe we're thinking instead of feeling, feeling instead of thinking. It's kind of uh, screwed up a little bit, all the uh, channels. So just be a little bit more aware that Tuesday, the day of Mars, if you look at Mars, Mars is on top of the moon. It could be also wars and conflict with women, mother figures, a woman in your family might be acting out. Um, there is also, and Mars, don't forget, when it's in Cancer, is acting out completely because Mars hates being in Cancer. It's going to be there for the next two, three weeks, ah, three weeks. So we have to 
deal with him there. Mars is feeling like he's drowning. I always have that image of Mars in Cancer. I remember watching it when I was a kid. Uh, these soldiers in Vietnam, uh, they're holding their M16 above their head because they're walking in the river and uh, they're not allowed to have their firearm, their Mars energy, the inside of the water. That's why they're kind of walking weird. They're afraid of touching the water. If they step or misstep and fall, the gun is going to be out. They can be attacked. They're very vulnerable. They can run out of the river. So it's the soldier in the river, you know, not the best place for the soldiers to be. It's almost as if um, they're stuck in mud. So that's what our Mars is like in the next three weeks, which is not auspicious because we are during Aries. We talked about it and Aries is ruled by Mars. And the fact that Mars is in Cancer, eh, not the best thing. We're going to have to wait for him to move into Leo. Mars in Leo is valor. It's courage. Mars in Cancer is kind of um, hiding in the corner with his blanket. So it's not the the best time for Mars. So again, there could be some issue with uh, aggression, uh, people acting out of uh, aggression because of their inability to process their emotions. So you'll see that there is some more and more conflicts in that sense. So just to be a little bit more aware of that on Tuesday, especially Tuesday, because Tuesday is Martes, the day of Mars. So that's going to be even more dominant. And the fact that Moon is going to be on top of Chiron, uh, on top of Mars. So just watch it on Tuesday from unnecessary aggression. And like I said, in Wednesday, there is that square that is going to get even stronger between the moon and Mercury. The good news, though, about a Tuesday and Wednesday is that we're having a beautiful trine of water. So what we have to do in Tuesday and Wednesday is move and shift away a little bit from fire and uh, the masculine energy of Aries that is guiding us this month and dive a little bit more into our feelings, talk more with I feel, connect more to your feelings and act more according to your emotions. So the way to override the square is to give respect to the sun, to give respect to the moon, uh, instead of trying to put them together or force them together, just, you know, separate uh, them and deal with each one of them on its own. So that means you should act with your emotion or guided by your feelings um, and that's also going to be beneficial because Saturn right now is in Pisces, the south node is in Scorpio, and the moon is in Cancer. It creates a triangle, a full house, you can say, in the celestial poker game that actually uh, help us structure things as long as we're emotionally connected. So again, the key word for success Tuesday, Wednesday is action, Aries, but through the prism of emotions, Cancer, or for your family or uh, with that element of compassion. So yeah, you can go to war, but you have to be very compassionate because Mars, your soldier, is in Cancer, the sign of the Dalai Lama, the sign of nurturing and supporting and feeling. And it's also supported by the fact that Minerva, the goddess of just war, is in Cancer as well. So we have Mars, the god of war, and Minerva, the goddess of just war, and the moon, they're all in Cancer on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, Thursday, what is happening is the trine is still continuing and it's actually even stronger. So this week, one of the beautiful thing about this week, which is especially strong on Thursday, is the beautiful trine between the Saturn and Mars. Saturn and Mars are considered to be the bad boys uh, in the um, Zodiac soap opera, let's say. So they're sending a trine to each other and especially with Mars getting a beautiful trine also from the south node and the north node, sorry, a sextile from the north node, a trine from the south node, is really helping us deal karmically speaking with issues that have to do uh, from past lifetimes, especially around family, ancestral karma, uh, being able to let go of any kind of genetic or epigenetics that might be hindering you or causing some friction or some problem. So, there is this beautiful trine that is shining to us on Thursday, again, through the prism of emotions and feelings. The moon is going to be sending a beautiful energy to um, uh, Neptune, which is great for dreams, intuition, mysticism. So what I would suggest is that on Thursday to have a little island 
of emotions or feelings because the fact that Neptune is sending such beautiful energy to the moon and to Minerva, the fact that Mars in Cancer is sending great energy to Saturn in Pisces is really giving us an option to put together fire and water and what the alchemists talk about as creating gold. So there is something interesting in Thursday. If you do the grand work, the work of putting action and reception, masculine and feminine together, then everything can flow much, much better for you on those days. So again, Thursday shows a way to put fire and water together. But if you're not feeling very alchemy-like, you might be um, feeling this great deal of steam because water and fire together, if they're not flowing, they create steam. Too many thoughts, um, too many words. So just be careful not to be overly heady. But on Thursday as well, as you can see, Mercury and Vesta are coming together, one on top of each other, the goddess of the hearth, the goddess that keeps the home alive, uh, the goddess that keeps the flame alive and she's in Aries which is the sign of the flame on top of Mercury the messenger of the gods it's your ability to deliver messages very strongly especially if these messages are anchored either in your home family and don't forget your moon is still in cancer which is all about home and family or something that you uphold from your tradition that you feel that your job is to pass on Jupiter uh, again is going to get um, uh, on yeah Jupiter is going to be moving on top no, Jupiter is actually leaving us alone. Um, Saturn is still going to be trining the moon, Evin, Mars, like we said. And yeah, and on that day, on Thursday, is Venus on top of Uranus. That's the peak of that energy of Venus on top of Uranus. I think it's going to last also on to Friday. Again, Venus on top of Uranus, meeting unpredictable people or getting along with people I never thought I would get along with or people I usually get along with. It's not working because... Uranus is causing us to look at things in a different way. On top of Venus, it happens once a year approximately. And because we have the North Node in Taurus, Venus in Taurus, Uranus in Taurus, it's very grounding. So first of all, it could be new ideas of um, how to make money, especially around technology, innovation. There's something interesting would be in the news on Thursday and Friday in connection to science, technology, innovation. But it's also very, very rebellious. It's very much about uh, breaking things that don't work. So if your relationships are kind of going through some challenges, this Venus and Uranus can bring things up to the surface. It could open up. It could awaken things. Uh, I wonder what is the Sabian symbol of 16 degrees Taurus, a symbolical battle between swords and torches. Yeah, well, that's not very uh, optimistic. I don't know what symbolical battle, um, or maybe it's a battle between the symbols of swords and torch. Swords is air, torch is uh, fire. So it could be between words and action. But uh, anyway, battles we don't really want so much, but it's going to be in the weekend and we are in a period of demonstrations. We'll talk about it in a second. So that could flare up a little bit or not a little bit. And uh, Friday, the moon is moving into Leo, changing vibes uh, completely. It's getting strengthening power to um, the Aries. So Friday, Saturday and Sunday, we're going to have the moon in Leo while the sun is in Aries. And it does talk about the ability to find emotional satisfaction or to feel a little bit better um, in general. I mean, when the moon and the sun, the light and of the night and the day are getting along, it's always good for everybody involved. So that's definitely going to be uh, helpful. You can see that the Saturn-Mars trine is continuing in a very, very good way uh, because um, uh, that transit, yeah, it's going to be pretty strong. Mars is already uh, going out, but he's going to still the, be there in Friday. So this week, again, as the conjunction, uh, as the trine between Mars and Saturn is forming, it is good for structuring things, making things happen, as long as you're working with your intuition, just as much as with your reason, because Aries is reason, but all this water activity is more about um, passion and emotions and feelings. So this week, definitely, we're all practicing being alchemists, putting the fire and the water together. The moon is touching on Friday, the black moon. This ain't good. 
No, no, especially if you're in France or in Israel and the demonstrations are going on, there's going to be something flaring up because the black moon is going to be touched by the moon. Uh, not going to be very easy, especially because they're in Leo, which is all about ego. It's interesting because the moon in, of Israel, I think, is in Leo. So that could be even worse there. But the idea is that there is a, a clash happening this uh, Friday. So just be a little bit more aware uh, besides that, Venus passed Uranus, so it's going to be a little bit easier in that sense. But uh, we still have that beautiful conjunction of Vesta and Mercury. Communication is good this week. It's only that um, uh, sometimes there's little aspects that make it a little bit more complicated. And s April 1st is going to be a Saturday. Fools, April's Fool. Um, you know, it's a very special celebration, actually. I think that we should actually work on it much more uh, april fools is begin i mean there's a lot of question i mean a lot of um, uh, um historical accounts of how it actually started but the idea is that it is connecting us to spring again it's another of the spring celebration sometimes uh, people suspect or some scholars suspect that it is related to the green man and if you look even in the tarot card for the fool the joker he's green and the green represents uh, something that is not completely mature, like a green banana that has not turned into uh, the yellow or the green mango that has not become purple and red yet. So uh, there is that no, that feeling that or that idea that the same way that during spring it can be snowing in one place, there is a tornado in one place, there is a very hot in another. It's kind of unpredictable. Uh, that's part of the April Fools. That's why there is the tradition of pranks and, and pulling pranks at people. But really, it is a celebration of Mother Nature concert, Mother Nature's husband, spouse, which is green the green man and the green represents the greenery that covers the earth so the earth is the feminine energy and the green is the whether it's trees or whether it's plants it's the one that goes into mother nature and brings out uh, her potential bringing life so for me also uh, april fool fool comes from the latin word folis folis is air or the air pump you know the air pumps that they use to uh for the blacksmith so it represents air because he's carrying a bag of air and air represents um potential that's why you see the joker with a with a stick and he has a, a bag and he has a little doggy that he walks with him so the joker the fool represents potential it also represents um, things that are not yet mature that needs to jump the leap of faith into maturity it's almost like a a kid that is before puberty and needs to go into puberty in order to move to his full uh, potential so again april 1st saturday definitely celebrated especially because venus is in taurus venus is mother nature in taurus the sign of mother nature the north node once in 19 years is in mother nature and uranus once in 84 years is in nature so next saturday you are obliged to do something in nature to honor the green man uh, the husband of mother nature and um, on april 2nd on sunday we are moving venus into virgo and that why that actually Sunday is going to be pretty good, especially for work. I know Sunday. I mean, unless you're in, uh, uh, I guess, unless you're in Israel, you're not working. But if you are working, like I am Sunday, uh, it's a good day for work. It's a great day next Sunday for service. Great day to start a diet. Great day to heal yourself. Venus in Virgo is always very very positive in connection to healing, in connection to paying attention to small details and fixing yourself. So that's going to be good. The only thing is that the moon is opposite to Saturn on Sunday. It could cause some friction or issues or problems with family members or around real estate. So just to be a little bit careful uh, with that. So now let's um, uh, look a little bit at what's going on. Yeah, before I forget, um, I added a new workshop. Uh, so what's going to happen is that from uh, January, no, from April 28th, I will be coming to New York for like uh, 10 days. I'm going to do readings there. And on J Sunday, uh, May 7th, I'm going to be in Woodstock with Laura Day, my good friend. And we're going to offer a workshop that starts at 12 p.m. with me talking about astrology for two and a half hours and how we can actually use astrology practically in our lives. So you should bring your chart with you. Unfortunately, I can't put it on uh, as a webinar. But if you live in New York, most 
it's two hours only. You can come over there, stay even the night. It's on um, Sunday and at 12 o'clock, I'm going to start doing my session for two and a half hours. Then you can stay over and we have a yoga class at Euphoria Yoga in Stock in uh, Woodstock. Then at six o'clock, a um, until 8.30, Laura Day will give her part, which is intuitive uh, healing circle. So if you can come, uh, that would be great. Uh, I know that there is great places to stay over there, or if you just want to drive up and come down. If you're in New England, uh, Old England, you can also come. You're more than welcome. So that's going to be on um, May 7. It's not a Saturday. It's actually a Sunday, so there's a mistake here. And um, must yeah, and if you're in LA... Or if you want to see, it's also in the, as a webinar on May 19 at 6.30, I'm going to do, on right on the new moon in Taurus, we're going to do a class on mastery of numbers, numerology, and how to work with numerology. And if you're in LA, that's going to be only available in LA. I'm going to also do a class on the Bible on May 20th. So hope I see you in New York, uh, either in Woodstock or in um, uh, Brooklyn. So this is kind of interesting. I decided to uh, talk a little bit about Odin, Old Father. I always had a special connection to Odin. Maybe I worshipped him in past life. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, from an early age, even growing up in Israel, I was really fascinated with him. Odin is Woton, Woden. Uh, we name Wednesday after him. And he's considered to be a very interesting god. He's the Norse uh, god. He's the the ultimate god of uh, the Norse tradition. If you follow the tarot cards, uh, the 12th cards, which is the hangman, is basically a snapshot of something that happened to Odin. Odin decided that he needs to hang himself upside down from the tree of life, Yggdrasil. He actually stabbed himself in the liver, just like Jesus, uh, from uh, one of the from a spear he fashioned from the branch of the Yggdrasil, the tree of life, and he hung himself upside down. That's why the hangman. Uh, and after nine days, he started seeing in the pebbles in the river below him the runes, and the runes are these symbolic letters that um, you can use for divination. It's like the tarot of the Norse tradition, in a sense. So he was a very interesting character. And if, in fact, one of the most interesting thing is that he actually willingly sacrificed his eyes in order to gain wisdom. It means that, yes, gods do sacrifice. He sacrificed himself to himself to find the runes. He sacrificed his eye to see better, have wisdom. Um, and he also had two uh, ravens that used to do his biddings, or bidding or, or he would send them off uh, to collect information. But the idea is that he was the king of the gods and he uh, was also related to the realm of the dead where the whole of the slain warriors uh, of Valhalla. And Odin had also shamanic qualities. That's something we knew from the beginning of his um, journey. Uh, because of the connection to uh, the runes, because of the connection to his wisdom. And this is, by the way, a picture of Odin. You can see that he's missing an eye. You can see that his horse has eight um, hooves or eight legs. That's, by the way, the origin of um, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Deer and the whole idea of, of uh, um Santa Claus having his chariot or his carriage run by eight deers. It comes from him, from Odin. But anyway, Odin had the capacity apparently to shape his shift, to shift his shape, to shape his shift, to shift his shape, one of the other. Uh, and he could turn into animals. Uh, he had actually, like I told you, two, raven, two ravens that he used to send around, uh, Moonin and Hugin. So if you see two ravens kind of following you or looking at you or checking you out, it's probably Odin doing it. But what they've discovered just these last few weeks, and that was uh, a whole thing about it, uh, that Odin was also a master of senior. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. It's a ritual, a magical ritual that practiced involving chanting, drumming, and seeing into the future, future memory, uh, speaking to the dead. And according to Snorri, Odin learned the senior from his wife, the goddess Freya, whose Friday is named after her, her Venus, basically. Uh, however, because this practice was associated with women and because it's ecstatic component and it had a lot of sexual uh, uh, connotation, it was seem unmanly for people to actually practice. 
And this led some scholars, and this week it was coming out, to question whether a deen was a queer god or gender fluid. And it's not something completely out of the blue. And it's not because everybody is trying to be woke or anti-woke these days. It's just because, uh, you know, we are now having some issues with... Um, the fluidity or the lack of it between genders, but apparently uh, in the past, um, they didn't have it that much. And Odin, who could be the ultimate warrior, the guy that was the old father, the guy that all the big machos were praying to, probably also was a queer god. You know, I always, when I taught uh, a class in the Bible, I remember one time I was telling people, uh, based on Genesis 1, that uh, we have an interesting story. We have a god that created um, a, the Garden of Eden, a playground, you know, beautiful with a lot of flowers, a lot of trees. We know we heard about the tree of knowledge. We have the tree of life. It's a beautiful place. It's the park. It's basically God's garden. He landscaped it perfectly for himself because he's going to live forever. And um, he just wanted to have um, a nice place. Like I'm working now on my uh, garden, making it nicer. It totally makes sense. And then God thought, okay, I need to spend eternity in this garden with something, right? Someone, something. So what am I going to create? And then God decided I'm going to create Adam. But wait, if you are a God, like everybody in the Christian and Muslim and Jewish tradition, believe that God was a man, probably white with a beard. You know, we talked about it here many times, like the image of Michelangelo of God's creation, you know, in the Sistis Temple. That's kind of like when I say God, a lot of time, that's what we see. So wait, he's going to be forever and ever and ever a man in the Garden of Eden that lasts forever with a man? So there's two possibilities if you are reading the Bible. Either God is not a man but a woman and that's why he would want to spend some time with a beautiful, sexy Adam. Or God is a queer God like Odin and he's kind of uh, gender fluid and he decided that Adam is... Uh, a good companion because I'm a girl or I'm kind of girly or sometimes I have these girly needs to be with a man, which is totally fine. I'm not judging. I'm not judging God. You know, God can be whatever he wants and he can flow from one thing to the other. But that leads me to something else that was going on uh, this week. We'll get to that back. Um, you know, I was talking to somebody, I think I was doing a chart to somebody, and I was uh, um, I was seeing evidence in the chart, at least I'm not allowed to give diagnosis, and I shouldn't give diagnosis, but I said, listen, you should go to a therapist and check to see if your, it happened to be a person's son, has OCD, it's like obsessive compulsive disorder, which can come as obsessive behavior or a compulsive uh, behavior. So obsessive is much more in the thought and compulsion is much more um, um, behavioral, you know, organizing things a certain way according to what you can wear and what you cannot wear, symmetry, uh, what kind of food I can eat, what not kind of food, what should I do before I eat food and after checking things out. And then I thought, wow, that's really religion. Obsessive compulsive disorder is a or let's say religion or being very, very religious, like the Orthodox Jews, the ultra-Orthodox um, Christian, you know, the crazy people that are running around the world, blowing themselves up in the name of God. These people are suffering from an acute case of obsessive-compulsive disorder. And instead of treating that, uh, they just pour it into the religion. Because if you think a lot about religion, they have certain... Um, compulsive and obsessive things they have to do. Think about mantra, having to repeat it 108 times, 108 times, 108 times, because if I'm not going to do it, Shiva's going to hate me. Or if I'm not going to separate my dishes, God is going to judge me. Or if I'm not going to be Catholic, I'm not going to be able to get into heaven. So then I thought it's brilliant. All of these obsessive compulsive people that um, needed somehow to channel their energy and to make everybody like them just came up with religion and mitzvahs 613 of them or five pillars or whatever it is uh, seven sacraments which is really interesting i mean i do believe that religion is necessary to realign yourself with the divine but a lot of us especially lately have become obsessive uh, compulsive about it and 
Here is an example. In Florida, you know, uh, you probably know if you're not living in uh, America that there's characters like Ron DeSantis who, uh, it's a paradoxical name, DeSantis, because there's nothing saintly about the guy. And there's nothing joyous about him because Ron in Hebrew means joy and DeSantis, DeSantis of the saint. He's definitely not from the saint. And in Tallahassee, a classical school principal, Hope uh, Karaskia, sorry I'm pronouncing it wrong, was forced to resign after three parents complained that the sixth grade art lesson involved Michelangelo's David. The most famous statue on the planet was pornographic. Now, like attracts like. When you are watching porn all day long, then in your life, everything seems like porn. So these parents who are supposed to be the santis, holier than the whole, than the Pope in a sense, they're completely obsessed with porn, 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 you know, like in... Uh, um, they, they they see it everywhere. They see it even in Michelangelo's statue. Now, think about it. This one was created, what, 500 years ago? It was placed in the city center back then. So 500 years ago in Firenze, people were more evolved than in Tallahassee, Florida, of uh, the Santis's Florida, let's say, because they're roaring about how it is pornographic. So imagine they're going to go to Firenze and they're going to have to cover the eyes of their kids uh, everywhere they go because basically all over Rome, all over Firenze, all over civilized places, there are statues of people who are naked. That was going on from 2,500 years ago uh, from the Greek tradition, if you remember. First, there were only naked men because at that time in Greek tradition, men was considered to be the fair sex. And then they allowed after the Hellenistic movement towards females that could be naked. So um, just imagine these Tallahassee kids, our parents, but you know, these kind of parents don't even leave their village. They don't go to travel to other places because they're scared. They're scared people. Um, that's why, for example, in Judaism, the Orthodox, we call them, they call themselves Haredim. Haredim basically means the anxious one or the, the scared one or the fearful one. So that's the same thing with Christians or with Muslims. So they will go walk around, cover their kids' eyes because of pornographic, pornographic, pornographic. Uh, now, this is happening right when DeSantis is trying, you know, to be president. So he's trying to appeal to his base. So he's trying to be more of an asshole than regular. And he's um, uh, passed this new law now that uh, parents are supposed to be accepting everything that is being taught to their kids. Now, if the parents are ignorant, uh, that means that their kids are going to be ignorant. So what's going to happen eventually is that countries or states like Florida, Texas are going to be more ignorant and less able to compete with the world. It's basically creating a, a generation of idiots, you know. So the principal was given an ultimatum by the school board, uh, who is called Bishop, kindly. I mean, it's like, this is like a fairy tale story, who said she had either hand here's a resignation or it would, she would be fired. And this is a quote from him, uh, this bishop guy. We think it's beautiful, the statue, of course, but we are going to make sure that the concept of parental right is supreme in Florida and our charter schools. So what is important for him more is the fact that um, parental rights rather than the kids' rights. So you see, or the kids' right to enjoy one of the most beautiful creation ever. This is, by the way, uh, the statue of David. Now, if you have any issue with this statue, it does not have to be the fact that he is naked, but what the nakedness reveal. I don't know if you guys can see it very well. And if you're watching me on uh, live Instagram, maybe you should just Google King David by Michelangelo and look at it. There is a problem with the statue which is, I'm not talking about, uh, some people complain about the palm of the hand being a little bit too big, you know. Well, there is a correlation between the size of palms and dicks. Oh, shit, I'm not supposed to say that. And penises. So maybe they're right. Maybe there is some kind of a problem because David's uh, penis is kind of tiny and his uh, hands are, or his palms are really, really big. That's not the problem because, by the way, in uh, ancient Greek, I think we mentioned here, uh, I remember I, was, I went to a lecture about um, ancient art, and they talked about how in ancient Greek, as well as the Roman tradition, the penises of sculptures are very, very small, because unlike uh, our culture today, when we think that we have to supersize everything, including our penises, uh, back then, smaller penises were considered to be more aesthetic, because it meant, according to their thought, that 
to have sex with that, you have to be more athletic and more agile and more creative. Because if you have a big thing, you just stick it in there and it does its own business. But if you have a small one, you have to be a little bit more mobile or a little bit more, I don't know, creative in a sense. But that's not the problem. What I'm trying to show that is the problem is the fact that King David's penis is circumcised, which is completely um, funny to me because Michelangelo, you know, he was a Pisces, so maybe he got confused or maybe somebody else forced him to do it like that. But the idea is that if you remember from the Bible, from Samuel 1st, chapter 18, is that Saul wanted to get rid of uh, King David. David, or he wasn't a king that, David was in love with his, he wasn't in love, sorry. His daughter, Michal, was in love with David. His son, Jonathan, was in love with David. Everybody was in love with David. David, by the way, in Hebrew means the beloved, so it kind of makes sense. And in order to get rid of him, what Saul said to David is, hey, you can marry my uh, daughter, my, my son, not yet. You'll have to wait 2,000 years for that to be legal. But my daughter, yes, you can marry her, but you have to bring me a 100 foreskins um, from the Philistines. And he knew what this guy, this little kid, is a good musician, but, you know, he's going to go and kill a 100 Philistines and bring me his force, their foreskin. You know, either they're going to kill him, and if they don't kill him, at least... I get a hundred force. I mean, a hundred less Philistines, which were the enemies, and David brought two hundred. So I don't think somebody who went ahead and killed two hundred Philistines in order to get their foreskin uh, will be very happy to be portrayed in front of everybody, even if it means being banned by Tallahassee because of the penis situation. So again. If you really want to work with uh, that and you really want to teach your kids, maybe you should teach your kids about that instead of uh, banning it altogether. And this is something I found kind of disturbing in um, a, some uh, Lego interpretation of the foreskins that King David brought, uh, sorry, that David brought to his king. I guess this is his wife with a, or his soon-to-be wife. Another interesting happening this week, again, talking about primitive uh, people, is that um, in Wisconsin, they just banned the song Rainbowland by uh, Millie Cyrus and Dolly Parton. I mean, how could you possibly ban anything that Dolly Parton is involved with? She's so beyond uh, politics. She's so beyond left and right. Uh, she's such an inclusive character. She's literally a demigoddess. And they banned it. And why did they ban it? The parents. The parents are so concerned with their kids, uh, their kids that are being groomed, right? Uh, they because of controversial issues that they found in the lyrics. And like I'll show, I'll show you what the controversial is all about. Would it be nice to live in paradise? Mm, we mentioned, yeah, paradise. Adam, maybe God is uh, gender fluid. Okay, maybe it's there, where we're free to be exactly who we are. I thought the whole purpose of America is being able to be free. Okay, no. let's all dig down deep inside. Okay, go in. Uh, brush the judgment and fear aside. Make wrong things right and end the fight. Okay, this is terrible. This is terrible, terrible, terrible education for kids. Um, singing about freedom is too woke for a lot of people now in crazy places. So again, this is a, a very disturbing thing that's happening because they're basically shooting themselves in the legs. They're going to take beautiful art, literature, all the books that they're banning. They basically, what's happening in America is the burning or the reburning of the Library of Alexandria. So if we have here in America a very good educational system, very good uh, higher education system, not uh, educational system, then they're slowly trying these ignorant people to destroy it, classifying it as elitists. And, and the main people that they're doing it are people that did study in elite um, uh, universities. So it's, again, using people's ignorance to give them even more, uh, keep them even more ignorant. It's kind of sad. Yeah, so what I have to say is, hey, old men, leave our kids alone. You know, Republica Republicans are now forcing 10-year-old uh, to carry her rapist baby. Uh, Six-year-old boys can carry gun. 12-year-old can work for eight hours. That's totally fine. 14-year-old can marry in some places in America if the judge approved. I mean, that's how you take care of your kids, right? Yeah. So anyway, that's um, what I wanted to say. Yeah, another thing that was kind of interesting, and it's a personal thing for me, because as you can see, I live here in um, 
in in, uh, in Los Angeles. And it's uh, kind of funny how astrology works because I remember writing the book. Yeah, I did write a book in 2023. And in the book of 2023, I said, since Neptune, the ruler of Pisces, which is now, you know, in Pisces, is... Um, uh, sorry, since Neptune, the ruler of Pisces, which is now in Pisces, is the god of floods, earthquake, and droughts, with Saturn moving into the sign of Pisces, we can expect more of these calamities in the next three years. In the last two passages of Saturn in Pisces, the world suffered devastating earthquake in China, Japan, and Russia, killing and displacing millions. That just happened in Turkey. While Saturn transit is in Pisces, the probability of severe drought as well as flooding is raised to a worrying level. We can expect mega flood, superstorm, deluges, 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 perhaps even a dreaded atmospheric river. I didn't even notice that I was writing it because obviously I would have said to myself, fix the roof, which I did not. I tried before the before these crazy uh, uh, floods, but I didn't. So now I have to deal with it. But anyway, it's kind of interesting how the atmospheric river, at least now for people in LA, everybody knows what it is. When I wrote this book, you know, some people ask me, what is atmospheric rivers? Because it sounded like sci-fi. And of course, I had to do some research before I write it. But then it started happening. So the last month in March, we had quite a few atmospheric rivers. Last week, we had one. And next week, we're supposed to have Tuesday, Wednesday, now that I think about it. So again, it's kind of interesting how astrology works. And sometimes even astrologers are not immune to the effects of astrology. Also interesting that I thought about it today, that in the book, especially in the beginning of the book, 2023, I mentioned two countries in the context of Pluto in Aquarius. And the two countries are France and Israel. Why? Because last time Pluto was in Aquarius, we had the French Revolution, right? And then I said, okay, I checked before, and 2,000 years ago, when Pluto was in, Aquari in Aquarius, 70 CE, is when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. And that's why I mentioned in the book that these two countries are going to be very much in the spotlights, especially because I mentioned also that uh, Palestine is going through Saturn return. And it's not an, uh, I mean, you can see what's going on in, um, uh, all in France. I think I gave uh, the quote here. No, I guess I kept it in... Um um, mm, I think I have it only in the, oh yeah, here it is. So I found an article from March 22nd, right? Remember that's the time Saturn moved into Aquarius. Sorry, that's when Pluto moved into Aquarius. Saturn was already in Pisces. So Pluto moving into Aquarius right at that day, there is an article in New York times. And I told you last time Pluto was in Aquarius, the French Revolution. And what is the article is saying? During the French Revolution, the Palace de la Concorde, I don't know how to say it, the sprawling cobblestone square across the Seine from the National Assembly was known as the Revolutionary Square, the place where the newfound power of the street paraded on full display in all its glory and horror. It was there both King Henry XVI and Queen Marie Antoinette were guillotined before packed crowds. Then it goes on. Over the past week, the square, which is now resembles a chaotic traffic circle, reclaimed the echo of its former self as people crowded, overflowed in, drawn by instinct and word-to-mouth protest to the government's decision to push through the unpopular pension, blah, blah, blah. It's eerie. It's funny how astrology finds itself into the newspapers so bluntly. Uh, that's why I told you guys, it's kind of crazy. And again, this is from uh, my book on um, uh, 2023. I checked the past transit of Pluto in Aquarius and a few mon monumental events happened during those periods. For example, the second temple in Jerusalem was destroyed 7 CE while Pluto was in Aquarius. This event caused the diaspora of the Jews around the globe and started what we call today the Jewish nation. A strange coincidence is that I am writing these words in Israel at Haifa it was, at a cafe that is telling me to pack my bags and leave since they are closing. Why so early? It was only 2 a.m. at 2 p.m. Uh, well, today was Tisha B'Av, the annual fast day when most of Israel shuts down to commemorate the destruction of the temple. So it was, I remember that scene. I went from my parents' house to my favorite coffee shop and I knew that it's one of the only places open on Saturday on holidays because it's run by a 
I think they were Christian Arabs or Muslim Arabs, and it's very close to my house. So I love that coffee shop. It's open on Saturday. I can actually work there. So I went there, and then they suddenly tell me, hey, uh, you have to leave. And I was literally writing that passage about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 CE, and I said, why? And they told me it's Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av is the day that a the Jerusalem temple was destroyed 70 CE and also the first temple was destroyed something about that day in Leo that destroys things so again coincidence synchronicities that the basis of everything next week we're going to talk a little bit about the chart uh, of uh, uh, Israel according to the um, spring uh, spring equinox we'll talk about it it's an interesting technique that has to do with prediction for the next year for countries so i hope you have a great week i hope to see you in new york in person in uh, the end of the month at uh, the end of next month and i wish you an amazing um a week going through you guys pictures to say personal digital goodbye and may pluto in aquarius destroy what things that you do not need and open things that you do. I sent an email about Pluto in Aquarius and how it affects the different signs. It's also on, Insta on Instagram. But next week, we'll talk about it again. Thanks a lot.